Welcome to Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. Today I had the pleasure of speaking with illustrator Matthew Forsyth. Enjoy. Hey, Michael. How are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm good. So you're out in LA? I'm in LA, yeah. How long has that been? Uh, this time I've only been here about, been here about six months this time. I used to live here uh, about eight years ago. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What occurred in between those two time periods? Well, I was working for... Um, I was working for Cartoon Network, and so when I left that job, I'm Canadian, so when I left that job, my visa also left. And I went back to book work. Um, so I made, I went back to Montreal and worked on my books for a few years. I have kind of a cold, so I'm kind of congested. It's no problem. Okay, good. Yeah, that's how I came across the work, is uh, Poco. Or I don't know if you pronounce it Poco. Yeah, yeah, that's that how I pronounce correct? it. Mm-hmm. How did you get into kids' books? Do you have children? I don't have kids. I was making comics, and um, and I'd always wanted to make picture books. But, yeah, I didn't really know how to get into it. Uh, and then I was contacted by a Canadian publisher about illustrating a book, and I did, I did a, a book with a Canadian publisher, and it did really well. It was like a New York Times notable book. And then that was an entree into like New York publishers. And I've been working with Simon and Schuster ever since with the same publisher, Paula Wiseman. Nice. Ever since. Yeah. And she's wonderful. So we have a great ongoing relationship. How do you know when you have an idea for a kid's book? Like a book, like an idea that would, would appeal to that medium and audience? Yeah. Good question. I think, uh, I'm writing right now, and it's very difficult. Because um, I know you make comics as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I haven't made comics in a long time. I'm really into the picture book format. Mm. Um, I'm really focusing on the challenges of the picture book format and the opportunities, you know, like um, the art of it, you know. And because um, I love, like, I love painting and I love the sort of like the energy of a picture book when it's done right. So um, it's so exciting for me. So, um, so yeah, the picture book idea thing is very difficult to know when something is clicking or not. It's I think it's something that I you have to like, for me, I have to dig into and find different layers of. I think there has to be some kind of emotional resonance, some kind of emotional seed, you know, in my own life. It can't just be a funny idea. It has to have some kind of link to my own experience um, for me. And then, yeah, I just try and dig in and find layers of humor and drama and uh, color and art. And and hopefully um, I, you, you, one never knows what's going to resonate with other people, but 
definitely just trying to find something that I'm excited by. That's always been my metric. Like if, if it's exciting to illustrate something, that's all I can, Yeah. uh, you know, that's all, that's all we can hope for. Um, do you show it to children beforehand? Like before publishing, like, you know, typically if I'm drawing a book, I'd probably show it to my peers and see what they think. I've never made a kid's book, but I'm considering making some strange form of them. And, you know, there's this kind of arrogance, honestly, when I look at certain kids' books and I'm like, oh, that's, I mean, I feel like I can make that in three days. It's, you know, 15 pages, there's seven drawings, the text is about half a page long. And I know it's not that simple. Um, But... Yeah, I'm very curious. Like, do you show it to children first before publishing it? How do you go about refining a kid's book? Well, first of all, I think picture books are, I think they're like every market, you know, like there is a lot of stuff in every market, if it's TV or film or comics that is just being churned out for the market machine. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of depth or, you know, layered thinking or, um, you know, there's not a lot, not a deep philosophy behind the books and that's fine. That's just part of the market we live in, you know? Uh, but there, I think there are, there is a, there is a stratum of picture books that are really timeless and they are layered and they are deep and, you know, you can grow old with them. Um, so it depends on how, you look at the market. It's like TV, you know, there's TV shows that will resonate for decades, you know, and there's TV shows that are made just to be, you know, entertaining this week. Uh, it's like every art market. Um, yeah. So sorry. What was your second question? Yeah. I I asked too many questions and expressed too many sentiments within that. Uh, mostly because I'm just excited by the idea and I do like Mina. I'm assuming I'm pronouncing that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that reflects a deeper complexity than Poco for me upon reading it um, for several reasons we can get into. But I think what I was asking is, in the practical sense, do you run the books by children and gauge their reaction before publishing them? Yeah, I do. I don't, I don't personally do it, but a lot of my friends who I trust are parents, like writer friends, and I will definitely ask them to read it to their kids and see if there's, um, you know, any notes that the kids have, if the kids like are trailing off or bored by anything, that is a huge flag. Like if the kids are not interested in a part, then that just means you're not, it's not working. Uh, That's important, you know? Um, But ultimately, yeah, ultimately, we we know if something's boring. You know, you know if you're reading your work, you know when yeah. something's working or when you're... You also know, subconsciously at least, you know when you're taking shortcuts. And we all yep. do. And sometimes I think that's what I think a lot of writers groups are for. Writers groups are for people who just want other people to tell them that they're taking a shortcut. Like, we know. We don't really need to be in writers groups. I think we know when we're phoning it in. And... Um, Sometimes we just want a coach, you know, we want someone mm-hmm. to be like, uh, you know, a personal trainer to be like, come on, do these squats, even though you know how to do 40 squats. Sometimes you just want someone there to like cheer you on. But 
Yeah, I'll take notes from kids for sure. If kids are bored at any point, it's a huge red flag. Yeah. Is it fair to say a good idea is just a good idea? Or is there, you know, what I'm trying to get at is I think I'm wondering if, like what the parameters are that make a good kid's book. I know you can say the adult is invested and interested as well. I think that's a foundational answer. And I don't, what I like about your books is I don't think there's necessarily like this very clear specific moral I'm supposed to take for them. I find a lot of kids' books are too one-to-one in expressing like this is how you should behave or this is right, this is wrong. So like all good art, it's more uh, divergent than just telling you what to think. I always think of the wolf in Poco, um, how he (laughs) eats someone and is quickly forgiven and things just move on. Yeah. Well, in terms of like picture books as a moral like vehicle, you know, like these are lessons for moral lessons for kids. I think that's such a wild, uh, a naive assumption. Like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. when we, it, you know, when I definitely had pushback from some editors cause Poco is published in different languages. And so some editors were like, uh, where's the justice in this book? <laughs> it's like, Excuse me, but get out of here. Like what, where is like, is art, is, is literature, is that art? Do we expect justice in literature? Like this isn't, uh, it's ridiculous. So, and also I'm not, uh, you know, um, I'm not qualified to lecture anyone on justice. I'm, you know, I'm a flawed, shitty person. Like I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, I'm not uh, a pastor, you know, I'm not a moral like, uh, and I don't think any picture book artists are. So there's this weird hat that you see people put on when they write picture books where they become like these weird moral, like moral givers and like light soothsayers about life. And it's just, I find it very, uh, you know, I find it very put upon, very like, feels a little fake. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm not interested in that at all. Uh, the moral aspect of it. Yeah. And like that would definitely came up with Poco. Uh, and then in terms because, of, like, because of the wolf specifically. Yeah. The wolf was one thing. And then like the parents kind of get kidnapped at the end. Uh, <laughs> they were like, can we, sure. You know, like, yeah. Uh, but it just felt, it just felt right. <laughs> at, the, at that, uh, at that that's, moment. That's completely that's what I hope to hear from artists, you know? Um, so that's refreshing. Cause I think in some ways children are viewed as these blank slates that parents feel this increasing pressure to, you know, dictate very clear morals to. Yeah. And I understand why they believe that, but yeah. I think it makes for a really shitty book. And I see it all the time in kids books. And so I think that's what I picked up in the work immediately. Like, oh, this isn't really, this isn't, I mean, I guess it's patronizing in some ways to just tell, tell me what I think my kid should believe, et cetera, or the child and all the best kids books I can remember definitely don't have moral lessons and fairy tales, although they do have moral lessons are very complex in their symbolic structure. So you don't even know that this is occurring. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I don't think uh, 
anyway, it's it's just, it's just as so like you make comics, so like it's as silly as asking like how come you know does Dan Klaus make <laughs> like what are the morals of his? It's literature. It's like, and I think kids are you know are capable of reading you know literature and art, and also if it opens discussions, then cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the things I noticed with Mina and Poco, um, I'm wondering if this is intentional, is that in Poco, the child is super extroverted and bringing the world into the house. And in Mina, the child is introverted and her father is bringing all this chaos and world into her space. Interesting. I, I didn't plan that or think about it, but yeah. Um, I did think about like me and I was like, Oh, it'd be nice to have like, you know, the hero of a story be an introvert. Um, yeah. And I did think, and it is, and as that mimics my relationship with my dad more, my dad was way more extroverted than me and I'm more introverted. And it was like, that felt like a more autobiographical. Yeah. You know, I've only read those two books admittedly. Yeah. But I'm assuming. Those are the only two I've made. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've illustrated a bunch, but uh, that, those are the only two I've written. So that's and so fine. you're really enjoying that process? Yeah, I love it. I think for a long time I was painting and loving, like, pushing the boundaries of my own abilities as a painter and, you know, trying to find different ways to express myself visually. But now I feel like I'm trying to do that with the writing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with how I express things visually, you know, with my art, but, like, I'm trying to write. Uh, I'm trying to push my writing and really it's very difficult. It's very challenging. It feels like where I was 10 years ago with painting, I think. Right. So you have your visual language sorted out. You don't feel the need to alter it at this point. Yeah, I have fun and I know how to express what I need. How long did that take? Took a long time. Took a long time. I didn't go to art school. So did a lot of like studying and experimenting and trying to learn from my peers and my friends and probably took 15 years to become, you know, able to, you know, make a painting I was happy with. Yeah. Isn't that wild? It's wild. (laughs) Yeah. It takes a long time to to be good at anything, I think. And I'm not saying I'm like great or anything. I just, you know, I feel like I can get what I need. I can say what I need to say. I can, you know, I can speak in sentences with color. (laughs) <laughs> you know, no, they're very pleasant images, and I think the beauty of kids' books is you're being kept in check by the child who's really visually oriented and emotionally oriented, and by the adult who needs stimulation beyond that. I think often, and and so it's a pretty complete audience. Yeah. Do you have kids? I have a stepdaughter and I I will likely make my own children soon. And <laughs> and uh for me I think I'm like very uh, ground up. So I I think I'm already thinking about making kids books or books that you know, I doubt I'm going to make like kids books and be successful in the way you are, but make books for children. Um and for me, it's just like it's interesting to be around a kid all the time, you know. It's a yeah. it's a big it's a big change, and that yeah, got well, me interested. And in yeah, well, Pretty me simple. too. That's how, that's how I got into this. I about twenty years ago, I was uh, teaching kindergarten in Korea, and we would like I would read 
amazing Korean picture books to these kids every week. And I would just fell in love with these like Korean picture books, which are very ex- expressivistic, artistically express, uh, express, expressivist, uh, expressionistic artistically. And, um, I was just like, wow, you can like do these beautiful paintings and tell these stories. And then these, these kids, my students would start making up stories and telling them to me. And I was like, well, teaching is exhausting. You know, I was working long hours teaching and I was like, this is so exhausting. I'm not cut out for it, but I would love to get good at making picture books. And it was super inspiring. I think in the same way, you know, when you sit with kids and talk to them, it's like a whole beautiful way of seeing the world. It can be, yes. I think. <laughs> yeah, it can be. It's not you know, over romanticizing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I certainly stray from that in some ways. I don't believe them to be that innocent either. Uh, yeah, but that's yeah. what makes them interesting. I think the flattening of how people see children is a problem, and that's why they make these books in these really flat ways, or or cartoons are a mess, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Just deeply uninteresting. You mean like animated stuff is a mess. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm just a curmudgeon, but I think that's what I see the problem as, is there's this lack of respect for the child's sophistication. I see the yeah. same thing with book cover design. Um, I saw in your Q&A that, I don't know how to pronounce his name, honestly, but one of your favorite designers is Peter Mendelssohn. Yeah, And I feel yeah. like he he and Chip Kid like yeah. expect a little something from their viewer expect yeah. a little work and that's a form of respect i believe in in art making yeah yeah well that's i think that's i mean not to get to but i think that's the definition of art where you leave room for the viewer and you let leave room for the viewer's interpretation or the you know and not to sort of if you fill that gap it's no longer art it's i don't know it's like communication you know Sure. If you if you if you're telling them what the message is, there's no room for, you know, them to project themselves onto the thing. That you know, and that's that's a big thing with with picture books too, is leaving room. People feel the need with, you know, with all audiences to talk too much and say too much and over-explain. And uh, yeah, like one one thing, like one red flag when someone sends me a script to illustrate is if the script is just too long, like. I can tell before I even read it if I can if I'm going to paint it. Like if it's more than one or two pages, it's too long and it's there's no room for the illustrations. It's someone who's fallen in love with their writing, and right. maybe they should go do something with prose. But to do something with a picture book, the pictures have to you know, I think the pictures have to contribute, and then not only do the pictures have to contribute, but the reader has to contribute. So that's, you know, there has to be all sorts of room left in the writing. You need to leave lots of room and people are not, we're not in a, you know, people are just, I think people have always been excited to over explain things like maybe like I'm doing today. (laughs) (laughs) I understand what you mean. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's accurate. I think when you're young, a young artist, you, you try to cram a lot of ideas overly complex ideas especially if you're intellectual into your drawings and right. and it's not what it's for in my opinion visual art is not primarily there for intellectual uh, stimulation it's there for visual and symbolic stimulation at least how i see it mm-hmm. and so i think 
when your self-esteem is embedded in one practice, it's it's logical that you try to put all those eggs in that basket and get it out. But I think as you mature, you you develop simplicity because it's not about you. It's about the craft and the yeah. audience. Yeah, you know, I think about like the first phase of my like illustration career and I was always so concerned with like, well, I don't know how to draw hands or I don't know how to draw, you know, this thing or that thing. Mm -hmm. But now like that's just not a thing anymore because it, we had this thing on uh, uh, Adventure Time, this show I worked on where like the more naively you draw something, the more truthful it is. You know, I remember we would draw these awful cows and uh they don't look like anything like cows. They're just a bunch of like shapes stuck together. But I remember Adam Muto, the showrunner saying, Oh, it's a cow. Cause we say it's a cow, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it, you just say, you just, it's a bicycle. Cause you say it's a bicycle and mm -hmm. let the reader like meet you there. It's really, or the viewer meet you there. It's really, uh, I think that's the most exciting way to work. Yeah, I think also part of this problem is when you're young, you want to have clear metrics for advancing, technically speaking. So you want to be right. able to draw the cow as clearly as you can draw the cow. Right, right. You know, because that's actually a pretty tricky thing, understanding. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's like artists, I think, who embrace being naive, especially if they went to school uh, yeah. too much. And you're like, yeah. well, aren't, aren't you trying to refine some technical skill here? Uh, no. Because I think that matters as well. Yeah. And yeah, your work definitely has a very beautiful balance of those those two things, I believe. Thank you. Yeah, we, uh, you know, the, you know, the old adage is, you know, you learn something deeply and then you let go of it. And then just, you know, like study, study the cow, you know, drawing all day and then don't use a cow for reference. Just draw now, draw from your heart or your mind. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. or memory and then that's that's your way of drawing a cow like that's what, anytime i need to you know learn how to draw something i'll just do that you know it's kind of like however ai learns something you know you like you just like study a bunch of things and then let yourself regurgitate it well in a more graceful way than ai i feel like ai is just like an assemblage of of disparate sources Right. I like I like to think humans are doing something <laughs> that it yeah. can't it can't do. Uh, yeah. But we shall see. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's dangerous for us to um like if, if for us to look at it in terms of what AI can and can't do, because the whole nature of it is like iterative and it's gonna keep getting better and it will be able to do everything we can it will be able to, you know, draw hands very soon, you know, <laughs> and that's, so we can't have any, I just think like the thing that I'm looking for is I just want to feel people's human experience, you know, and their own personal experience, not, I, it's such a weird vacuum world. The idea of like having robots make things for us. I mean, that's try why I try to do everything like hand painted. I don't, I, 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 at some point I realized like sitting in front of a Cintiq for your whole painting is really uh, narrowing and uh, it can really like, um, it's like moving away from the human experience, I think, for me anyway. And so it wasn't satisfying for me in a way that was, uh, you know, useful. I mean, I think it's objectively true. And I think you can see it in the tendency of 
I always found it odd if you work digitally, you have to kind of roughen things up and try to bring it back into something that doesn't feel so polished right. for, it to, for it to feel warm. Yeah. And, and then as when you're working in real life, at least when I would make books, I'd be doing the opposite where I'm trying to reach some kind of purity and yeah. cleanliness and, and getting frustrated with smudging this or that thing. It's a very odd um but yeah. I, I, I relate to that. I mean, I I think it's a, you know, you probably started picking up the Cintiq by working on cartoons, right? Because it's yeah. a collective process that needs to be efficient. Yeah. Deadlines are crazy. Like illustration pushed me towards digital work and and uh, I feel a lot of things about that. I, mean, I try to be grateful for the strength of each process because I think you can kind of learn some sensibilities on a more what would you say, inexpensive way? Like you can learn your color sensibilities without buying all this paint. And yeah. there's something great about that too. Yeah. So would all these illustrations for Mina and Poco be, they're just actual paintings? Yeah, they're all paintings. Yeah. Uh, they're all, there's a box of Poco paintings and a box of Mina paintings somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like the more I work like that, the more I want to really like. Obviously, the last I scan them and you know I format them and touch them up a bit. Uh, but and the more the more I work like that, the more I want to really get get you know a hundred percent of it in the actual painting. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you see them as characters in the same world? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And so is that where you're working up? You're building that world out with different characters. Sort of. I'm trying to work on the third book right now, but it's not flowing. So I'm just kind of also being open to just writing a book. So, uh, yeah, I, I do like that world, but um, also don't want to, you know, I don't know. You, it's tough to know where to constrain yourself and where to just let go, you know. Um, it's, true, it's true. Yeah, I think the yeah. only way to know is to know your aim and then you can get yeah. a sense of it. Yeah. Like, what do you think your aim is in that sense um, in totality? Like, how old are you? I'm 46. And do you feel that this, that you've found something that is, like, does it happen? I think everyone's life develops differently. But do you think that all the previous jobs, et cetera, they kind of have been distilled down into this, this pursuit of the kids' book, the picture book? Yeah, I, I, I do kind of... Uh... I don't mean, I don't know if it makes that much sense, but I, I do think like everything is in the stew, you know, everything, everything I've done, even office jobs that I did that had nothing to do with art, even my politics degree that had nothing to do with art, it all found its way into, I think, really helping me like find a process and a place in, you know, my work in terms of like what my aim is. I'm also careful not to be that, like, I think there's a, a conceit there that's like, uh, or an arrogance, you know, that I'm like, I'm trying to do a thing. Like, I think you ha have to like, you know, we were cha we, we change every year. So what we're working on is going to change too. And how we want to express ourselves is going to change. Like I couldn't have made these picture books 10 years ago, you know, and uh, I just didn't know the things I know now. And, you know, I, and in, I think in five years, you know, I, I, I have to be open to a different set of skills I might have or a different set of, you know, you know, different language I might have. So I don't know in terms of aim, like I do, I do think like all art is about communicating emotion 
And I think like, um, that's my fundamental aim is just, you know, finding community and, and communicating emotion through the work. And it's so gratifying when it hits, you know, when you or someone else is like, this book resonated in some way. That's really amazing. You know, I mean, the books have been published in a bunch of different languages now, and it's really, uh, really gratifying, you know, to see like people interpret it and, 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 you know, assimilate it into their own lives. Yeah. I'm trying to process this idea. You know, for me, art is in the service of the transcendent, the best art. So I'm trying to process this idea of, of what you just said about emotion as it's, as it's main goal. Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, I mean, you know, everyone has, yeah, yeah. has a different way of like looking at things, but, but can you clarify or elaborate on that a bit, a little bit more? I'm, I'm curious. Well, like, sense... if you look at a great painting, it makes you feel a certain way, you know, and it, maybe, it, maybe it stirs a memory or, a, you know, feeling or a scent or something in your life. And that's for me, if I'm in a museum or a, any setting and something like stirs me, that's the most I can hope for, you know, or a film or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like stirring in some way. What does it stir? It stirs like an emotional, you know, uh, recollection or, you know, some kind of emotional feeling. And, um, I think that's the most one can hope for. And I think that's what people get out of, I think sometimes that's what people get out of my books. I don't know. I don't want to be too like, haughty about it but um <laughs> yeah i do think like uh and so you know that's the difference between like yeah i could pump out books about you know nothing you know i think i think my i think sometimes people you know in the industry would like it if i did that if i just pumped out books that were like you know about i don't know whatever uh mushrooms or something but i i i want like I want it to be deeper. I want it to like have legs, you know, I want people to be able yeah. to visit it and find different, you know, meaning in it. Cause that, that's what's important to me. Um, when I'm reading anything, how long, I don't know if this is a standardized process. So this, this might vary, but how long would you say it takes you from start to finish to make one of these books or yeah, to make Mina and Poco? Yeah, I think that's a, I think it is, it can, I think it's like those books took about eight months each, maybe like longer. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of fine tuning in the details in the pre-press and stuff, but um, it took a long time, you know, like I think like someone who's on the like, assembly line of picture books could pump out two books a year or something. But, and then for me, I, I think like after Mina, like I needed a year to do something different. I worked on a couple animated projects. Um, you know what I mean? So then you're like, yeah. okay, now, now I'm ready to go back to books. It's been a year. It takes another year to make the book. It's like two or three years goes by before another book comes out. But yeah, I, I would love to, um, yeah, I'd love to have more of a standardized approach, but yeah, right now it's about eight months and I have to really be in it. And so does that mean you wake up, you work on that book and that's where all your energy is going? Yeah, for sure. Like when I'm painting, for sure, I'm doing every day. I'm like working on the book and it's like a page trying to do a full page every day. It never happens, of course, like you end up doing right. one or two pages a week. And then if it's a, these are quite long books, right? They're 30 or 40 pages. So that's going to take, you know, it's like going to take four months or something just to paint. 
and then there's like post-production and, and I, I always like revise tons of paintings. So there's a bunch of, bunch of paintings that didn't make the cut because I'm constantly editing and moving things around. Yeah. And the writing's always moving around. So the whole thing's probably about, yeah, it is full time and you do have to take it seriously. It's not like, you know, you know, this idea people have about artists lives, like where you just like work one day a week. No, I'm, I'm quite, <laughs> I'm quite disciplined in the studio. Yeah. I haven't heard that one in a while. But I think before before I went to college, I think I, I think uh, that's how I, you know that that and they think they're just um, you know completely unorganized, like insane, yeah, and, and somehow pumping out work. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's not... interesting. So you're just on that. So I assume financially it's a sustainable path, these kids' books. Yeah, I mean, I do other projects. Like I say, I usually, I usually bounce back and forth. Like um, I'll do a, an animated project and then I'll do a picture book and then maybe I'll illustrate a book for someone, do an animated project, make my own book. Yeah, it's quite sustainable. I'm quite, uh, I'm quite grateful and lucky, I think. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it looks like a beautiful life in some ways. I see, you know, Adventure Time was an important show straight up brought together a lot of great artists um yeah i'm in la now and it's nice i see i i still see friends that i worked on that show with and it's really uh those guys were like and you know women but you know the people on that show were like super instrumental and i learned so much from working on the show yeah, yeah. i can i can feel that a little bit just a little bit in uh, Mina and Poco. Just their environments. Something about it. I don't know what it is. But yeah, I think that I mean, was like an explosion of a certain language came out of that show. Or, honestly, it was like a collecting of a certain language and then a refining of it, especially within the comics community. Right. Yeah, it felt like, I mean, everyone has different interpretations, but it felt like there was this wave of manga that was really hitting, if you go back to... 2000 early 2000s like um this wave of manga and anime that was hitting uh that it's about it's about emotionality like it's not about being things being on model or rational you know it's Mm -hmm. like about how does the character feel and i think like you get a lot of that in adventure time like finn would you know break uh model all the time or be drawn and you know we had they were always on uh, they always ask the animators to go on the storyboard. They don't care about the models as much because it's about the emotionality of the writer and the storyboarder. And it's not about, you know, the you know, the sort of like the rationality, which I think was a previous way of looking at things. And even now, like Western art directors and editors are so focused on like things being on model, colors being like local colors that are the same. And it's like, such a boring way to look at the world like art is a giant metaphor and it can be anything and kids especially are very capable of interpreting you know you could you could draw an apple any any color you want you know and you could draw a fin any way you want and kids and you know viewers or readers will know exactly what you're trying to say you know mm-hmm. uh and what does it now, mean oh go ahead what does it mean to be on model does that mean like there's specific ways to draw this character. And yeah, there's like 
Yeah, in animated TV, there's a, always a, a design model that's built, and it's exact, very precise proportions and very precise uh, uh, elements to the character. You know, maybe there's a button here, maybe the eyes are, you know, set in a certain way with respect to the mouth. So that's, you know, these proportions are like in traditional animation, Disney animation, these things are like religious, like they're they're strict. But, um, you know, a lot of like manga and like uh, uh, anime, like that, I think there was room for these things to push and pull. If you look at like the work of like Yuasa Masaki or something, like you could push I mean, you know you see mind game or something like it's it's more about just the flexibility of the medium and it celebrates what's what it's good about animation which is like it can be anything at any time it's like a dream language you know it's actually what i like about brecht evans work respect to just characters changing all yeah. the time yeah you know i'm curious if you've read panther by Brecht Evans, because yeah. I find it such a strange uh, project in some ways. Yeah, I don't think I've read it, but I did. I've definitely seen seen it, and like, yeah, it's um, yeah, and that's a great example. Like, you know who the Panther is, you know who the girl is, you know, yes. like they change constantly. Like, all of these visual storytelling media are dream languages, and you know, it's like you know that amazing thing about dreams when you're like you know, I had this dream about my sister, but actually it was uh, my doctor, but I know it was right. my sister. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you're like, what was that? You know, or, you know, it's like when you have a dream about someone, you know, but they're in happy, you know, I had a dream about a coffee mug, but really it was my sister. Like that's <laughs> what, that's the power of visual. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is the coffee mug can be your, your doctor. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be um, a coffee mug. And so the, the, the tyranny of like the design model, I think is, uh, it's nice that that's over. And people like Brecht Evans are like, a lot of European artists, yeah, are also breaking that. It's great. Uh, yeah, that's a worldwide calcification, I would say. Like it's, because these things transcend of the categorical desire to say, this is this thing, this fact. Yeah, seeking part of our mind and even it transcends the political where it's like well you can't it doesn't represent a political perspective per se it could actually yeah. represent two opposing views at the exact same time yeah uh, which is deeply frightening to some people i think um because it challenges ideologies and dogma when right. you've somehow housed them in the same story or individual within the story yeah for like for like painting too that was a huge breakthrough for me that was a huge when i realized it doesn't matter what the color is it's what does the color feel like is you know does that feel and that's all that matters it's not uh oh you know like that flower should be violet colored like that's not uh if you think like that everything will have a rigidity that does not work with paint you know you need to like let go of, of any idea of what it is and just feel what the color is. And then it was like, oh, now I get it, you know? And it was like really liberating for me. But it works on all levels. I think uh, this stuff works, you know, from a design perspective, from a color painting perspective, and from a writing perspective too, character perspective. Well, yeah, yeah, because life is as, <coughs> it's as surreal as that 
thing itself, that decision that, you know, it isn't clear why apples grow out of a, from an apple tree. Right, very, right. very tremendously strange concept. Right. And then you can explain to me the scientific way it does that. And it's all rather, rather boring to me personally, but it doesn't explain why the whole thing even exists or would create such a strange fruit that you can then eat. And I think once the artist can embrace how life was actually made in some sense, yeah. then then they break through from that weird, uh, yeah, we call it categorical desire to just kind of prove that you know about this or that thing in an accurate manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're saying you're stuck on this next book a little bit. It's not, <laughs> it's not flowing a little. Well, nothing flowed. Like, it's wild. I just went back and recently looked at my writing for Poco, and it was like, it was, I did so many versions, and it was, it, it, it didn't flow. Even when the book was done, I was like, this is terrible. Like, this didn't, I don't think this came out the way I needed it to. It was never a flow state. Writing is very difficult. Writing for me is very difficult. And I think if you dig, like, it's very difficult for everyone. Um, and I think that's completely normal. Like, you kind of have to embrace that it's like, a, uh, you know, a digging process, but it's about doing the work. And I, uh, yeah, I just need to do the work and I'll get there with this. But, was there um, a difference in your response to Mina versus Poco? Were you more comfortable making Mina? Did you like it more when you were done? Do you like it more now? Do you like Poco more that it's out into the world? Oh, interesting. Well, yeah, like... First of all, Poco was my first book and no one knew how to take it. I think when it first came out, including my publishers and my agent, I think everyone was like, hey, I don't know what, I don't know where this is going to sit. Like, I don't know if anyone's going to find a place for this, but it was really well received. Oh, it was kind of a sleeper. Like it's still getting, um, you know, people are still finding it, which is really nice. Um, but for the, I, you know, I had enough positive feedback from Poco that I was like, okay, the risks that I was taking with Poco have been, you know, applauded by people who I respect. So I felt much more confident, you know, going for it with Mina. I felt much more confident with the whole process. Um, yeah, I mean, everything's like a different project. And Mina was made during the pandemic. I was in a really, it was a really weird place. So like, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, it's kind of nice to have that document from that time. But yeah, it's hard, it's, it's hard for me to imagine the the not negative, but the critical feedback before this is being published. Because to me, it's just a beautiful looking book. I'm curious what a publisher was hesitant about about the book. Well, it's not just my publisher. My publisher is actually super. Uh, supportive. Um, I mean, the, yeah, the, the scene with the rabbit and uh, the parents and uh, it's a long book. It's also 70 something pages. Mm -hmm. I, I had the foreign rights agent saying no one's going to buy this abroad, but then Poco started winning all these awards and it started, then it started getting picked up everywhere abroad. Um, but yeah, there was all sorts of reticence. People were just like, this book is too long. It's 75 pages. You know, picture books are supposed to be something else. And um, people were like, uh, yeah, like the issue with more, what's the moral message? It's too dark, you know, like 
you know, it's easy for us to say that's not that dark. It's a picture book, but you, you really like if you really look at the picture book landscape, it's really about you know teacups and flowers and unicorns. Yeah. You know, it's not. It's not. Uh, there's not really a big space for this kind of book, but people have found, I think have found a place for it. And that's really gratifying. Yeah. It's really interesting for you to mention all that. I think when I saw it, because I'm not used to reading that many kids books, I didn't see it as breaking these unwritten rules at all. You know, um, the, probably the last book I bought for a kid was Matt Fury's kids book, but that doesn't really feel that much like a kid's book uh, in the least. And so, huh, I had no idea that those were. Yeah, I mean, it's different worlds. I think, like, uh, it depends on what. Yeah, if you're coming from comics or you're coming from film, of course, it doesn't feel like challenging. Like, also, people are like, look at Roald Dahl. Like, that stuff is so. Roald Dahl would never get published today. Like, let's be clear. (laughs) He would never get published today. Like, Tommy Unger would never get published today. Like, that's. Really? yeah, that stuff is it's That's sad. it has a place in the pantheon because of time, because of history. But most of those books would not make it past editorial muster. We're in a much more puritanical landscape right now. Sure. Um yeah, so uh yeah, I think there are things about both books. I mean, you can read whatever. You can read I don't read them, but there's you know, you can probably read reviews online that both books sort of upset people in different ways. Um, I could assume that's fine. Re- reading Mina, because I'll put those glasses on, those goggles on for fun. I don't live with yeah. those goggles, thank God. But the lack of the mom, um, I found very interesting in Mina. Oh, that's not a thing I've ever heard. And that's not even a thing I think anyone's mentioned. <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess I assumed when you... When you um, you know, the kid typically, you know, normally would have a mom and a dad. So I assume like kids books, that's kind of the foundational start. Um, just like Poco has a mom and the dad and they, they make the mistake in the beginning. Um, and so, yeah, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like uh, there's just this one kid and this this dude who's kind of just inviting chaos into this household and doesn't I know how to identify things. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's so many Disney films with that. Ex- like, there's always, there's often a missing parent on both sides, or or one right. dies, and it, and that creates an interesting tension, I think, for the the characters. Um, I did find I always always loved that idea that, like, they didn't the cats didn't start behaving like cats until they identified them as such. Right. It's probably my favorite part of the book in some. <laughs> um. Yeah, there's that like Dr. DeSoto moment where the doctor is like, these are, this is trouble. But the, the, the parent thing was like, I do think like that's another thing if you are immersed in the picture book world. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing I do when I'm researching a book or writing a book is I'll go and read, you know, 50 picture books. Because uh, you really like uh, get into the world of, uh, of what, you know, the landscape of what, you know, the what we're dealing with the medium and um there's just this there's this thing about perfect parents like that all the parents are fucking perfect (laughs) and boring and it's like so unrealistic and i'm like how 
toxic is that for kids who don't grow up in a perfect, you know, uh, household to just see that over and over again, that, you know, they probably think like, um, maybe they think like it's their fault that, you know, their, their parents are not perfect. And it's like, it was less about their not being a mom, just wanted to have imperfect parents. You know, I wanted to have like, and often I wanted to, I wanted to have, um, a child who had to parent their, their parents, which is off, off, also a common thing, you know? And yeah, I have a lot of complex feelings about the relationship of the daughter to the father. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. I think he's not given enough credit in some ways. <laughs> like he's, I don't even know if he's naive or almost like transcendently accepting of things. And his acceptance creates this like hallucinogenic world of, of peace. <laughs> That's uh and like maybe he's always right uh, because he's always kind of open. Um, but yeah, I, I like that. You know, there's this kind of boring Pixar move that they keep making, and I'm tired of where it's like uh, parents just don't understand. Basically, in a right, in a right, right. It's like, a, but it's but just, but they're always doing their best. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, and that's the shit I I'm, I don't like. <laughs> like sometimes people aren't doing their best. Like right, that's right. like this truism <laughs> in society where it's like, oh, but they're trying their best, and it's like sometimes they're really not, you know. Uh, yeah, or you know the, the we talked we talk a little bit about how these all come from an emotional place. Like the emotion for me and Mina was, are you ever in a car with someone who's someone else who's driving and they're driving too fast? You know, or like it's there's a blizzard and they're just it seems like they're not aware that the roads are icy and like, <laughs> but I, I grew up like that because I grew up in Canada and there's always someone driving way too fast in a snowy road uh, on an icy road. And I was just like, this is so <laughs> dangerous, like one mistake and we could be we could be devoured by this, you know, highway. Um but we would always get to the place, you know, and it was always like, maybe I'm, am I wrong for being anxious about this? Like, maybe life is better if we're just relaxed about the right. snowy highway. And that's the emotion behind, the emotion behind Mina is like, she's in this car with her dad and she's like, is he, you know, it's just a question. It's not an answer. It's not, I don't have a lesson to, to, to give, but it's just that question of like, is, um, you know, is he driving too fast? Is he being reckless or, or does she need to just relax and go with the flow? Like maybe they are squirrels. I don't know. Like you said. Right. Oh, I had something. I just lost it. Oh yeah. So like when you read these books preemptively, like you said, you mentioned, you might pull a pile of 50 kids books. Who, who are you reading? Is it Tommy Unger? And Raul Dahl and everything, everything. I want to read stuff that's like that resonates with you know doesn't resonate with me. I want to read everything. I'm reading yeah for sure. I'm picking you know the the, the classics, but um, oh you know I want to read the stuff that's in the top ten list, like what people are writing, like what's resonating with the market. I do think like it's our job as artists. Like I'm a working artist. I need to like make a living, mm-hmm. and it's not my job to like serve the market solely. But I do think if there are things I want to make as an artist that are, you know, that do overlap with the market, you know, with the market, with what the market wants, then I will aim for that. You know, you know, if I, if I could pick three different projects and one of them 
is like, is one of them is more in line with the market, then sure, I'll go for that because I, you know, I have like to, I have to pay rent. Um, so. But you're also saying um, the lack, the lack thereof within the market. What's that? Is that correct? Like you're also saying if you notice a lack in the market and oh, you have a book huge. that fills it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's things the market wants that it doesn't know it wants, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I think Poco was kind of a, maybe a little bit like that. Like it was a little bit like, um, I think people, I was really craving something funny and dark, uh, you know, a little funnier and darker than what was on shelves. And I think other people were too, but, um, you know, that's the old, like, you know, classic thing about just make what you want and other people will also want it. Sometimes it's true. Yep. <laughs> it's not, if you I really think it's are a- delighted by something other people love. <laughs> if you like really if you're really like thoroughly delighted by something i'm sure other people will also but like we i think we i think that goes to being able to like hear ourselves again which is the truest role i think of an artist if we don't mind this philosophical discussion but it's the role of an artist to really hear ourselves like those kids in my kindergarten class like they can hear themselves so clearly and you, you look at their work and it's so full of style and energy and individuality. But what happens is we're so shaped by society and we're so shaped by what we think we need to do to become successful or so, you know, to make money that those things uh, invade our work and they kind of poison our work. But if we really can hear what we're delighted by, if we can hear it really loud and clear, you end up with like David Lynch, you know, or something like magical you know is there a children's book publisher that you think is hitting the mark more often than not well i don't know i don't know um i think like there's so many different like the i think there's different marks you know you're saying mm-hmm. hitting the mark like i think there are many different marks there's so many like artful books and then there's so many books that are like good stories. Um, but I think all like publishing is a very difficult industry. And I think they're all under a lot of pressure. They have to deliver a lot of stuff on a regular basis to keep the machine moving, you know? Yeah. And it's, and even, you know, even as big as publishing is, it's a tiny, uh, you know, it's tiny compared to other sectors. So I don't know. I, 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 I kind of forgive, I think, you know, I think they have to pump out a lot of stuff and I think it's uh, forgivable, but I think there's, you know, there's publishers like Enchanted Lion that are making amazing stuff. There's publishers in like Germany, like Rotopol, my publisher in Germany, Rotopol. I love everything they do. Um, Yeah. I mean, there's, I think, you know, Candlewick is, you know, they make really nice books, but when you like go through the ages, there's like Knopf or like, uh, yeah, these classic publishers. Yeah. No, I, that's good to hear. I don't. I didn't know about <laughs> any of those publishers. I know about No Brows. I think No Brow has a kids book yeah. division, right? It's called Flying Eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it looks like you know. I'm looking through these websites. I feel like it's out there. The quality is out there. There's yeah, probably just yeah. like you said. There's a ton, a ton of books saturated. They have, they all have to they all have to make a lot of stuff and that's good because you know like we don't always know what's going to work and it's it's good that they're they're constantly I do think um, 
in the West, there's a bit more of an orthodoxy, you know, like I said, it's a bit more puritanical. And I do think it's, it's created a sort of a flattening effect in the industry. It's kind of a lot of, you know, I think it's a lot of like stuff without edges, but, um, but you know, there's people challenging it all the time. Maybe it's because I'm in the, I'm in the middle of it and I'm reading a lot of these books that it feels like it's not a lot, but there is actually a lot of great stuff going on. Japanese uh, author Akiko Miyakashi makes amazing books. I think she's a great example of someone who's really just trying to like communicate an emotion and just one thing, just like one emotion. Hmm. She has this book called The Storm. And it's just like that feeling you had when you were a kid, like when you saw a storm coming in. And then, (laughs) you know, like just that feeling Uh of this big, ominous, biblical clouds coming in and then like how it changes your world for a day and then everything goes back to the way it was before it's really like specific and kind of uh beautiful i'll have to check that out Mm -hmm. she has a book also called walk home at night which is just like it's just a rabbit carrying her baby rabbit and they're walking home through town and looking in the windows at everyone getting ready for bed in their different ways and it's it also like it heart you know harkens that feeling we had when our parents would carry us and also that moment of just like how we all in the world have different specific rituals before mm-hmm. we go to sleep it's just you know different smells you can almost like s- smell the different homes and stuff it's really really wonderful and like she was a huge inspiration for poco because she was like, like seeing that she would be like, just one thing, just focus on one thing. You don't need to like say five things. Right. Focus right. on one thing and uh, cut everything else. You know, this question might be trite, but what do you think the function is of anthropomorphizing characters? Like why, why not make it a world of humans? Why make it a world of animals who behave in human ways? I think it's, projection we can we can transfer and project ourselves onto these blank canvases uh and um if it's a you know if it's a if it's a, a white boy or you know um you know or a girl in a wheelchair it's maybe like it's more difficult to project our own experience onto that um right but, you know, you say that, but, like, the people like Ezra Keats, like, do books like The Snowy Day, where everyone can project themselves onto that character. It's, like, such a, again, one specific emotional moment. And, yeah, I mean, some people can do it stunningly. I just, for me, I just, I just like, it's like a blank canvas that people can, or a blank screen that people can throw their projector onto. Well, do you think it's blank in the sense of... I know what you mean, that you can enter into it more easily. Yeah. But but also, don't you think there's some kind of base mythology to eat each creature and somehow almost like picking a color? Right. There, even if it's not like very well thought out or something, like you get a sense of why this character should be a mouse, a frog, a cat is a cat. Kind of, I don't think so. I didn't think about that at all. I don't think, mm. like, I think in the same way that every time you meet a Matthew 
mm-hmm. you don't you don't take every math it's just a new Matthew that you met you don't mm-hmm. you're not like oh I I know another Matthew you're just like them <laughs> right you know even though you're right obviously these animals have deep archetypal like histories in human storytelling I don't think like I think Mina could have been a a cat you know and we would just project anything onto that cat because because you know if you have cats you know they have just as many different types of personalities as humans you know um uh, yeah i i I'm, i don't i don't think too much about that i know there there's there's a sense of like oh you know aesop's fables and you know a fox is a fox and it means all these things but mm-hmm. I, I don't know it doesn't feel useful for me that's interesting to hear I mean, I suppose it could be formally arrived at as well. It's just the shapes start to come together and make a particular creature, and then you want variety of shapes. You know, Poco would be pretty boring if it was a bunch of humans in the woods playing instruments. Right. And, yeah, go ahead. It's all, it's like all storytelling. You, you, if you see a character make a few decisions, then you, you start to understand who they are. You know, to see them make, to make choices and make decisions. Yeah, and it 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 will very quickly. It's just like if you make a new friend, you know, and you go out with them, and you see them make three choices in an evening. Any preconception you might have have of them is now gone, and they're now, you know, the sum of these decisions they've made. Right. And you said sometimes you do illustrate other people's uh, scripts, books. Or is that not correct? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I've, I've done a few books uh, with writers. Yeah. Does that move faster for you or is that more frustrating? What's that experience like as opposed to doing your own thing? Well, it's, it's it does move faster in the sense that I'm not as weighed down by the sort of, you know, the meaning of the writing and the editing of the writing. But um, I think historically, like I did, um, yeah, I did a few books. And it took a long time, I think, because I was also working out how to make books. I, I, I yeah. purposely did that. I was like, I want to make three or four books with, I made, you know, a book with uh, Daniel Handler, Lemmy Snicket, and uh, Kristen Hall and Kate Messner. I made these books with them. And that was really me figuring out how to make books, like doing thumbnails and the whole process. But now I do think if I, the next books that I am illustrating, uh, I think we'll go much quicker because I do have a I do have a process now, you know. Mm. I do have a sort of like way of working, uh, and I think it can be quite efficient uh, when I'm rolling. And do you find that the seeds for these books are are they a sentence? Are they visual? Are they a dream? Like how do like for instance Miyazaki will he'll start the film from one image that just gra- grabs him, you know, um, without a script. Yeah. Do you, find, do you find that there is some kind of seed that clearly reemerges for you, like a process that? Yeah. Well, Poco, um, Poco was one image. It was just this frog and this drum, and I was like, I had to ask myself, who is this character, and what's the relationship? What's the energy between these, the frog and the drum? Mm-hmm. But one, I think, important thing I've learned along the way is that a story is two things. Um, you know, if I had just had a frog and no drum, that's not a story. That's just a frog. But a story is the energy between two things. So like uh, a puppet is not a story, but a puppet with a father is Pinocchio. 
that's right. a story, you know, and like, or a puppet with a father is whatever you want that energy between those two things to be. And that's actually a concept uh, espoused by this guy, Gianni Rodari, who's like this Italian fairy tale theorist. And I, I kind of learned it the long way around making Poco and Mina. Um, but then when I was reading The Grammar of Fantasy, this book by Gianni Rodari, he, he articulates it. He says, you know, a story is two things, and he calls it the fantastic binomial. So it's the energy between those two things that, uh, you know, you can really develop a story out of. Um, yeah, and that's, I mean, Miyazaki is much more poetic than um, anyone else. But um, <laughs> did, yeah. did, did Mina have an image that was like that? Where, where... <laughs> yeah, it was like this, it started, that was confusing for me because it started as this, oh, what if a family of mice gets a pet cat and i was like because because i was like oh the energy what are the classic i wanted to play with like really classic raw you know archetypal energies and i was like well cat and mouse are the two most mm -hmm. you know fundamental uh energies i could play with but then as i wrote it and i was reworking you know the drafts i realized it wasn't about the cat and the mouse it was about mouse and her father and those were the two energies and so I started doing drawings of Mina and her father and, you know, what, what they would look like together. You know, she would be reading and he would be building, you know, she would, she, he would be doing something physical and she would be doing something intellectual. Mm. Um, and then it was like, Oh, this, this reminds me of Zorba the Greek, you know, which is this classic novel about the Apollonian and the Dionysian, like the body mm -hmm. and the mind. And I was like, Oh, this book is kind of about the body and the mind. So, I mean, that's what I mean about layers. And I hope people feel that like there's layers working in Mina where it's like, it works on a, um, yeah, it works. Hopefully it works on a surface, just a fun story layer, but it also works on like, uh, you know, like would I rather read a book or go dancing tonight layer, you know? And that's what that book is about. Oh, I definitely feel that depth in Mina more than Poco. For me, mm. uh, maybe because I, it might be because, well, I don't even know what the hell I am. I don't know if I'm an introvert or an extrovert. I just feel like <laughs> that, that dynamic um, of, of like the quote unquote enemy coming into your home and, and his inability to identify that. I don't know. There's, there's some very interesting things uh, about that book to me that I just read it today. So. Maybe I'm just, you know, in the honeymoon phase there. But I feel like there's something for me, at least personally, where there's a lot I can take from that. Mm. Do you have a preference of the two books or do you just accept them as they are? I like them both as they are. I mm -hmm. do think like when I'm doing a reading, I think Poco is more gratifying for, you know, people in a, you know, audience setting. Yeah. I think uh, it has a couple more surprises. I think people are people need more time to process how they feel about the father-daughter relationship, and like everyone has different like everyone really projects themselves onto those two characters, and everyone has really like different takes on it, and that's fine. I have no judgment on that, but it just I think it creates a more pensive mood in a crowd atmosphere. So if I'm ever like asked to do a reading I'll, I'll read poco it's just more um uh i think it's a better read aloud sort of 
thing. But I, th I, I think they're both, yeah, I love them both in different ways. That's great. Did you have that relationship to your work when you were younger? The ability to actually just no. love your love your work? No. Uh, yeah, I mean, I went through a long period of like self like questioning and loathing and like, uh, but I think like, um, no, I really like I do I do really like my work and I think the reason is because my publisher really let me um, execute it the way I wanted. You know how you know when we want to make something, there's always there's always these like forces that are like oh you know i wanted this book to look like that but they wanted to do this and they made mm -hmm. these changes my my publisher lets me make no compromises and she lets me take as long as i need to and so i can't complain you know like i like everything i put out is it's exactly who i was even if like it's exactly who i was when i made the book you know and and the other thing is i know i worked really hard on the books like i worked on different layers and so even if it doesn't land with people, that's fine. I know I did my best. You know, I know I really like, like searched through the different levels of meaning and, you know, I tried to have fun with it. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm very happy with that. And I do think like, same thing with the painting. Like it took a very long time for me to develop this approach to painting and, you know, between animated work and picture book work, I really like, have really like worked very hard on, you know, compositional skills and color theory and like my own beliefs and, you know, system of beliefs. So yeah, I'm like, I, yeah, I'm like, and I've just chosen not to like, I think my therapist, she always says no negative self-talk, you know? So I've just chosen not to be like self-critical about those things. I think there's many things I'm bad at, but I think I'm pretty good at painting and I'm pretty good at writing. That's I'm, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> Thanks. Because I think it's an earned thing, you know, um, if you're, I've never met an artist who didn't go through that process of at least a decade, maybe self-loathing is a strong word, but of just hypercriticality and Anyone I've ever yeah. met who was just like the first thing they shit out, they were like, this is amazing. Well, they're not going to go very far. So I think it's a kind of it's something to celebrate when an artist attains that level of comfort with themselves and their own work. Um, that can take, you yeah. know, a decade or two to reach. You know, I have a good friend, uh, Jesse Jacobs, who's an amazing comic book artist, and we talk all the time. And he talks about how like you know now that we're like whatever 20 years in like mm -hmm. to what we do like we know when when we have shitty days like when we paint something shitty or like we write something shitty we know that that's part of the process like i'm not saying everything i do is good or i'm great at what i do i just know that like making shit is part of the process and if i keep working and if i keep working at it you know i'll get to a level that i'm happy with it's like you're saying Oh, this new book is challenging. And it's like, yeah, every book is challenging. That's part of the process. Like, like sitting with that, sitting with, you know, the, there's, you know, whenever you're painting something, there's always like this, probably about 55% of the way through a painting, it like is the ugly phase, yeah. you know? And it's like, 
that's just the ugly phase of writing. It's the ugly phase of creating, which is wild because I'm working on this project right now. And I'm so comfortable now with the ugly phase. Like I know that my first 10 drafts of writing are going to be terrible and cringy. Um, that's just fine. Like I'm going to get there because, you know, we have taste and experience. But um, but work when I'm working for this, I'm working for this client and they're like, they need to see updates every day or every week. And the ugly phase is not something you can show in a PowerPoint presentation, you know? So they're like, of course. yeah, they're like this. What is this? What are we supposed to do with this? And you can tell they're freaking out. And I'm like, it's going to be great. Like relax. <laughs> it's going to be great. We just, we need to go through this tunnel and then you'll, there'll be a beautiful landscape for you to see on the other side, but you, you need to sit with me and sit with the uncomfortability of this. It's fine. You know, Oh, yeah. But it's part of the process. If you want it to, anything to be good, you have to go through this kind of process. Yeah, there's some neuroses, <laughs> neuroses in modern life where maybe it's the speed of life where every single moment has to be correct yes. or pleasurable. Yes. And, um, you know, looking back on my parents who are still married, I used to have that kind of angsty high school kid thing of like, well, why aren't they like, look at them. They're not happy right now. And <laughs> It's a kind of a, it's a ridiculous perspective, you know, like I, when you work on any project that is a lifetime or, or a decade long or whatever, like, of course there's going to be, it's maybe majority really difficult. Um, but that's the beautiful thing about it, especially when it turns out a product that is beautiful. I think that contrast is really interesting. Um, you know, like the books do look effortless in some ways, which I think should be the goal um oh, well that's nice to hear that's really nice to hear uh yeah because I mean, they certainly weren't there are many many drafts of especially in Poco. like I, I went back and because that was my first book that i wrote i went back and looked through a bunch of the roughs recently and it's wild how many different versions of that story there are and then how many different versions of the pages there are i really like killed myself <laughs> like i didn't treat this like some you know, some rinky dink project. I really like, uh, yeah, I really did my best. Is there anywhere to see that? I'd be fascinated to see all those processes. There's not, there's not. I was yeah. thinking about, I think about two months ago, I was thinking about starting a Patreon and like talking about that kind of stuff, like talking about process stuff and showing different, uh, versions of, uh, books and, you know, and, and the decisions we make as we, uh, as we go through these different versions and, um, I was thinking about doing it, but um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just so like busy on this current project that uh, I kind of fell to the side for a bit. But I think yeah, it's yeah. interesting, and it'd be interesting. Might be interesting to see or discuss, you know, because there's a lot of I do do a lot of workshops, like picture book making workshops or design workshops, and a lot of these principles come from you know the experience of making these books, where I'm like, maybe it's helpful to other people. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think what's interesting is you probably never look back and go, oh, I took the wrong fork in the road, you know, because you develop a kind of unconditional relationship to the work and the book that it doesn't forego criticality of the work. But I think there's an intimacy where you really do accept it as it is, as I imagine someone accepts their own child. Yeah. Um, they don't you don't go back and mull over. Well, I could have. You know, I could have said this or drawn. I think that can happen, 
Yeah. But I think the mature response is more, well, this, you know, I did my best, like you said, and yeah, and, and this is it. And I kind of, you kind of let it out into the world. And I'm sure it's very beautiful to see the book translated. Uh, for me, just seeing the different covers of a book with different, uh, you know, languages is always really a, a pleasing. I can't imagine if it was one's own book. I've never had that happen. So, Oh, yeah. It's a huge thrill. It's a huge thrill. There's definitely, look, like there's definitely pages in Poco and Mina where, and little bits where I'm like, ah, like I, I wish I, I wanted, to, I w- would have done that differently. But I, you know, I think it's maybe it's therapy, you know, but like I, you know, I can sit with the knowledge that like that's, where I was at the time. I mean, I didn't make that decision for whatever reason and, you know, I'll learn from it and that's what it is. But yeah, there's a couple pages in both books where I'm like, Oh, I should have done this differently. But for the most part, you know, it's just about self-acceptance, right? It's like, well, that's who I was. I made that decision at that time. And for whatever reason, like, uh, there's no, there's no point in like criticizing that person who made that decision, you know, just learn from it and move on or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I will say, I think my favorite, I may take this back, but (laughs) at least for today, my favorite page is the one in which the stick bug is kind of hidden in the, in the bottom right corner before he reads the, the, um, right story. I just really like, I don't know. I like the subtlety of that. There's something very complete about that page to me. Right. Oh, thanks. And yeah, I don't, you know, it's funny, that, yeah. but I, I do, I personally do like that touch of the stick bug. Like, yeah. I think it's funny because I, I probably wouldn't be able to, I mean, I kind of want to go through the book and try to figure out which page bothers you as a fun experiment, but usually I, I don't think the viewer knows. I can tell you if you want. In Poco, there's the page where it's black and white and the parents uh-huh. are being carried off. It's like a wash watercolor painting. All right, I'm going to look into that. I don't have it by my side at the moment. Yeah, but, yeah, but I mean, that page, I remember thinking, because sometimes I do think books are, another thing I think books are like breathing things. I think you inhale and you exhale as you read, and the book should also inhale and exhale. So I think some pages should be really rich and heavy and like a lot's going on, and then some pages should be really light and, you know, maybe a spot illustration, a lot of negative space. And so being able to... Uh, you know, where to relax and where to go for it, I think is part of the rhythm of a book for me. Um, and that page, I think I was like, I'm just going to do something like light and black and white. I think I was inspired by Isabel Carson. Of Cornwall, I was inspired by. And, um, and I didn't pull it off at all. <laughs> she does these black and white pages that are very effortless looking. And so I was like, what if I put in very little effort on this page and to me every time i look at it it's like oh you put in very little effort on that page <laughs> it's, it's the one that says until the crowd swept through the house and carried poco's parents off to the woods yes yes yeah also, interesting interesting it has like a that. very different feel actually yeah. now that i'm looking at it interesting there's a few moments in the book that also have just very different feels like some like like the whole chase scene with um it's just the orange background and and I remember did, I did those all in like one day. Like you move very quickly through some of the pages, and it's good. But then, um, yeah, sometimes it doesn't work. <laughs> sometimes it just looks like you 
cut corners and we're lazy. And I do remember the other thing I'll say is like, it's a 70 page book. Um, right. And I was doing paintings, like handmade paintings for every page and redoing them a lot. And I do remember at some point I was just like, I've just got to do this. Like, I've just got to finish this book. I can't, I can't like, I can't give another page like 200% or I'm going to collapse. Yeah, it's just the reality of making a book, making anything. Yeah, that's part of the, yeah, part of the process. So I assume you're painting right now. Yeah, I'm painting. I'm working on, uh, yeah, this uh, uh, corporate project. A corporate project? Yeah, it's actually a toy catalog for Amazon. I don't know what that means, but it sounds kind of cool. Toy catalog. It is kind of cool. It's kind of cool. They approached me and asked me if I wanted to write and illustrate this story that weaves through a toy catalog. And when I was a kid, I loved toy catalogs. And... I thought this is also an opportunity, you know, this is going to get direct mail to millions of kids around America. And I was like, this is an opportunity to like, to get like a picture book in a home world. You know, they may not even have a picture book. So it's like, this is really, this could be really cool. So I've been working on this for the last six or seven months. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's been really fun. It's been really challenging because it's like, it's the first time I've made a book with a team of people standing behind me. Mm. Right, right now they're behind you. They're, they're metaphorically behind me every day. <laughs> you know, we check in every day and they want to know what I'm doing. What I'm wow. Spending their money on me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, that's a challenge. It's a team project. That's what I wanted to do. I, want, I love working on teams. Sometimes it can be really lonely working on books, you know? Uh, sure. So, yeah, I was really happy to work on a team. And also, I'm really excited about, you know, like how this, how people... Uh, you know, bring this into their home. It's not, you know, it's not a, it's not like a, I, it ended up being a very collaborative project. I didn't get to write the whole thing, but um, it was, you know, it was a really fun project to work on. And I'm That's proud cool. of a lot of the paintings. Nice. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing that. Thank you. Well, I'll let you get back to that. I got to eat dinner. <laughs> Where are you? What, what uh, part of the world are you in? I live in New Jersey. I was born in New Jersey. Uh, oh, nice. And then I, uh, I, I lived in California and met a lot of illustrator friends out there, but then I came back eventually. So it is, uh, it's 6.30. It's dinner time. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, have a great dinner with your stepdaughter <laughs> and, uh, and your partner. And, uh, yeah, it was really nice talking to you. Thanks for all the thoughtful conversation. Yeah, it was a great talk. Thanks for your time. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Mingja Chen. Next up, we have fine artist and ceramicist Kevin Umana. Matthew Forsyth, Matthew Forsyth. Matthew Forsyth, Matthew Forsyth. Matthew Forsyth, Matthew Forsyth. Matthew Forsyth, Matthew Forsyth.